Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Maria Haddon. This Chicago resident is originally from Columbus, Ohio. At 14, she worked for a nonprofit called Interfaith Center for Peace, which helped Ohio school districts to set up peer mediation programs. She attended Ohio State University, where her undergraduate study was in international studies, specifically in peace and conflict studies. After finishing college, Maria signed up to work for the nonprofit organization AmeriCorps, which brought her to Chicago. Her interest in community voice and the role of civil society were the focus of her graduate studies at DePaul University, where she earned an MS in International Public Service Management. Maria's expertise in public participation is grounded in grassroots organizing efforts for social change. In both her professional and civic life, She creates space for effective public engagement and the implementation of transformative processes. Maria is a founding board member of the Participatory Budgeting Project and from 2010 to 2018 led their technical assistance work in the Midwest and the Southern United States. She loves people and working with them. For Maria, the most rewarding part of her job is working with people who are actively trying to change things for the better in the community. She serves on the board of directors of Black Youth Project 100, a national member-based organization of 18 to 35-year-old activists and organizers creating freedom and justice for all Black people through building a network focused on transformative leadership development, direct action organizing, advocacy, and political education using a Black queer feminist lens. Maria lives in Chicago's Rogers Park neighborhood, where she's been a resident for 10 years. It was her first neighborhood in Chicago. She wants to find a new way to support her beloved neighborhood by running to replace a long-serving alderman in the 49th Ward. If elected, Maria Haddon would become the first queer black woman on the Chicago City Council. The election is in 2019. Maria Haddon was awarded the 2018 Esteem Award for Outstanding Service Female Chicago. Maria, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Um, Michelle, I'm fantastic and thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, I tell you, one of my favorite awards is the Esteem Award. I try to come there every year to participate in them. And, um, again, I want to congratulate you 
and being recognized for your service. I mean, you started at an early age, at 14, you were involved, and I, what I like what you were involved with was in a level of peer mediation programs. Um, how did you, you know, when you saw that, and in fact, everything that you do to go on involves engagement and engaging community. But at 14, did you have a, an, an idea of what you wanted to do, like about being involved in transformative social justice? Um, at 14, I can't say that I did. <laughs> um, what I what I what I did know is that I um, I've always in, enjoyed working with people, like in community, and and mm-hmm. pretty good at relationship based um, relationship based work. And the opportunity that was was provided to me through the Interfaith Center for Peace really gave me the first chance um, to get to know a little bit more of, of some of the skills that I had um, and also to, to sharpen and improve those skills. So in facilitating, in working with peers and problem solving, uh, and, in, and in teaching. Um, and I'm uh, forever grateful. I, I still keep in touch with uh, the two women, Madeline Trichelle and Jody Davis, that ran that organization. Um, because they were retired school teachers who believed that peer education um, and through the mediation program that they ran, they, they made an intentional decision to um, recruit and develop young people, um, believing that it, this, was, this was the work that needed to be done and that it's not just the, the end goal of training people and it wasn't just an end goal of the, the mediation programs they were helping to create in schools, but that how you do things is also important. And, and that intentional decision to recruit and develop young people had a significant impact on my life and definitely provided an opportunity that I had never imagined. Um, I didn't even know that type of work existed. Um, and, I, and I tell them uh, that they, <laughs> they ruined me for kind of <laughs> run-of-the-mill 9 to 5 mm-hmm. work at a pretty early age. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, at 14, I, I didn't know that this would be the path that I took, um, but I did know that I was, I was good at doing this type of work, and I enjoyed it. You know, it's funny because um, I worked with a, a youth a program, and we talked about social justice issues and stuff, and I know and our volunteers started like at, some started as early as 14, but they were usually like a, uh, like around 16 was really when they came in. And I know that there was one young lady who came in and after a year of being involved in this type of social social justice work her mother said you know we had doctor in mind and you have ruined her you know you have ruined her by talking about this this you know social justice work but it's (laughs) interesting to see how you didn't know exactly you know but you can reach someone's psyche and they want to go ahead and they and they do that and they find this new path and think of new ways of doing things when you landed in chicago um through americorps what attracted you to say you know this is why i think i want to put down roots chicago is an amazing city and Mm -hmm. um you know and, and i've had the opportunity to through work um spend small amounts of times in in about a dozen cities around around the North America, 
And um, it's always the people, um, the people that are in a place. And, and I think also with Chicago, the, the challenges um, that are the challenges that are getting in the way of, of people being better together. So there was, I've been in Chicago for 14 years now, and mm-hmm. there, was, there was a time um, when things, I mean, things can get pretty hard here. And, you know, both in, you know, personal, you know, senses, it's, you know, living in a big city, the financial components of it, um, they all come into play. But also just the, the way sometimes this city treats its people not just in the government, but the culture of Chicago can be pretty, pretty tough. Um, and there was a time when I didn't know if I would stay here because of, because of those difficulties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, seeing persistent segregation, um, seeing people being pushed out of the city, displacement and development, um, the closing and shuttering of public institutions, and um, seeing that people here, people here speak up they organize and they and they fight back um, is is what kept me here um, so the people um, people here they they care they show that they care they organize and they, they don't take things they don't take things lying down and it gave me you know hope for what what in, in working in community and in working in collaborative ways we can really do here to make Chicago um, an even greater city for for the people that are here you know, I, I I love Chicago. It's one of my, I think I spend as much time going back and forth. And I think that that's one of the things that you do see about it is like how people don't give up. I mean, there's people who even at the darkest times have hung in there and they participate and they're involved. I mean, it has such history going through there, through there. But also, like you say, you know, you can drive through some parts and, you know, you see, well, and it's happening everywhere, where Mm -hmm. the city is changing, where there's gentrification, and Mm -hmm. what about the people who have been there and hung in there all along? And so I get that, and and then there's always that winter there in Chicago, which will make you or break you, you know? (laughs) Definitely. Um, One of my... um, one of my favorite Chicago memories with my father. So my, um, both sides of my family are from Ohio and have been rooted there for a while. But my, my dad spent some time living in other parts of the country when he was in the air force. And growing up, he used to tell me these stories about the hawk out in Wyoming Mm -hmm. and Colorado, you know, and, Mm um, you know, I grew up hearing these stories about extreme cold and the cutting winds and, and so the first time he visited me here in Chicago, he came for uh, New Year's, and it was during one of uh, a classically just cold, snowy, icy Chicago winter. And um, my dad and I both are hobby photographers, and so I, we walked out. We bundled up, and we walked out to uh, the lake. My, the neighborhood I live in is, is right on the lake. And um, we took our cameras, and we spent, a, spent some time out there, and some great photos, had a good time together, and I knew I had uh, hit, a, I hit a certain achievement when we came back to my apartment and my, my dad um, was like, it's pretty cold here. <laughs> 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 it's pretty cold. It's pretty cold. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, 
yes, it is. It was very validating for me. Uh, and there mm-hmm. is definitely that, the seasons and the weather. And, you know, uh, I think Chicagoans, we take it as a point of pride uh, to mm-hmm. be able to not just survive but thrive under our varying environmental conditions. I know. Uh, now, one of the things that, that I talked about was this, this Black Youth Project 100. Mm-hmm. And how did that come about? You're on the board. What is that about? I like that, you know, that it's from a black queer feminist lens, but Mm -hmm. how did you get involved with that? And can you tell me a little bit more about the Black Youth Project 100? Yeah, no, I would love to. Um, So the Black Youth Project 100, um, or BYP 100 for short, um, is a fantastic organization that's hitting its five-year anniversary this this spring. And um, there's, uh, it's related to uh, the Black Youth Project, so just BYP, um, which is a, a media and an education project out of, um, uh, that Kathy Cohen started and leads um, from the University of Chicago that was mm-hmm. really focused on lifting up the voices of, of black millennials and young black people and, and seeing that, um, you know, our stories and our voices were missing from a lot of uh, media narratives. And um, as part of that project, uh, 100 uh, young black people were, were convened um, in 2013 um, to talk about what, what the future looked like and, and, you know, their lives and their voices in our country. And they were together when the, the verdict uh, for George Zimmerman was given. Mm. Um, so when, when George Zimmerman um, was, you know, uh, mm-hmm. cleared of all charges related to the, the killing of Trayvon Martin. And it uh, just catalyzed this moment where they were all together and they decided, so this group that were there in 2013, they decided they needed to do something different. And they decided then and there and that weekend to form an organization and that they were going to make it their mission to organize young black people because if we didn't do it for ourselves, no one was going to do it for us. And from that, from that founding in 2013 and that, and that moment that, um, you know, it kicked off and, and revived, I think, uh, uh, several movements um, that we've gone through waves over the generations and, right, especially for um, racial justice and social justice for black people in the United States. And, um, it's a membership-based organization with, with eight chapters. So the original chapters um, were, were based around the, the members that happened to be at this convening. And at this point in time, um, we, we've got a, a couple, thousand, couple thousand members. We're in Detroit. Uh, we're in the Bay Area. We're in uh, D.C. area, New York City. Uh, we're in Durham, North Carolina. We're in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and we have national members, right, that aren't connected to a place. We've got a, a chapter starting in Milwaukee. And I learned of BYP 100 about three years ago. Um, they were leading a sit-in outside of Mayor Rahm Emanuel's office in City Hall. And it was, uh, it was a sit-in and a teach-in that was uh, over... Um, I believe it was 11 or 13 hours, and it was a symbolic sit-in teach-in 
to, um, that was a coordinated effort in multiple cities that was marking the amount of time that Michael Brown's body lay on the ground mm. after, after his murder. And mm. um, I stepped into the space, you know, I saw some social media postings and I wasn't super familiar with BYP 100. But when I, when I walked into the space and I saw a couple hundred folks, mostly young people, um, mostly people of color sitting around and there were these uh, just energetic, charismatic um, black youth that were, that were sharing political education, that were, um, you know, bringing joy and energy to a space, that were creating community in a space that um, traditionally ex- that we're excluded from right outside the mayor's office. And uh, they stayed there all day. And I was impressed. Um, and then I was excited to learn that um, even though I believe I was, oh, I aged out two years ago. I think I was, I think I was 34 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I that I still met the I still met the qualifications of of, of youth as defined by BYP uh, <laughs> 100, and that I was eligible to become a member of the chapter. And over over the the two and a half years, I stayed until until my 36th birthday. Um, over the time that I was uh, an active member of the chapter, not only did I um, meet amazing people, um, learn organizing skills. Um, it was a community space that I cherish um, and was very important to me, especially over the last three years um, with the, all the high-profile um, shootings, the violence, and the just, you know, between the new Jim Crow and the, the, police, the police shootings and issues. It, it was a tough, it was a tough few years, and I know it continues, um, but BYP 100 provided a political home that I hadn't had before, so not within any mm-hmm. traditional party and not within any space, um, but being able to, once again, be in kind of a, a peer-led environment uh, where we were creating a democratic process and system that served us. And also that, that part you mentioned about being rooted from a black queer feminist lens, um, it sounds very radical, and we intentionally put it over all of our gear, all of our T-shirts, all of our pamphlets, <laughs> the hats. You'll see it on there because we want people to ask us, what is a black queer feminist lens? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it, it's, a, it's a, a theory of change that says that if we're not working to, to change our systems, and if we're not working for justice for the most marginalized person at the intersection of our systems of oppression, um, and in the United States and in kind of our modern time right now, we're looking at systems of racism, of, of, of capital or of classism, right, of sexism, of homophobia, and, and really looking at, in, in this, you know, the, the black poor person who maybe is gender nonconforming or LGBTQ, you know, uh, trans, um, a woman, like in our current systems, we're the people that are uh, kind of at the bottom of the totem pole um, when mm-hmm. it comes to advantages and disadvantages. And, and usually the last thought of um, within a lot of planning and, and progress or even progressivism, you know, 
And so this idea that if we're, if we're looking to do criminal justice reform, if we're focusing on boosting voter turnout and participation, if we're looking for environmental or economic justice, we're going to start with this intersection of the person most impacted by a problem, and we're going to build up solutions from there. Because if we're not starting from there, it's not even worth building that next system. It's not worth building the solution because we're leaving those people out. We're leaving ourselves out or we're being left out. And so that, that black queer feminist lens rooted in, in the organizing and in the, the community building aspect of BYP 100 was something that really resonated with me because in my work with participatory budgeting, in my work in, in other civic and social spaces, it's how I approach things, right? Like if mm -hmm. we want real transformative change, we have to change the way we do things. It's not just, you know, it's not just about getting that win um, or, you know, a, a means to an end. How we get there and who we're bringing with us um, and how we get there together, to me, is, is just as important, if not more so. Um, and BYP 100 really reflected that. So after aging out, I volunteered to serve on our C4 board. So we have a, a 501C4 organization and a 501C3 mm -hmm. um, organization. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, um, I know some people who are involved with it, and they're also, you know, some of them are out here in Michigan, and they're also um, being a part of the Allied Media Conference. And, mm -hmm. uh -huh, and it's sort of like there is that, that way of looking at things through a different lens, like you're saying, to where I was talking to um, one young woman who's involved with an allied media conference and who's also been involved with BYP 100, and she was sort of saying, like, she saw the problems, and it was almost like going, she felt like she was connecting to her matriarchal, side, her mm -hmm. grandmother, mm -hmm. her great-grandmother, and to look at how she looked at community and how to, to look at change. But, you know, talking about, like she said, but she said, but she didn't connect with her, her mother because she said her mother was concerned about not having cable, you know, but, but to sort of get yeah. back to that sort of grassroots and that doing it. And things like what you saw, like I have of another organization that um, organizing thinking holistically about things and thinking things from a different perspective. How did that tie in? You had just mentioned up again, you just mentioned the other the participatory budgeting project. Mm -hmm. How did what you were seeing, what you were thinking about tie into that and you are a founding board member of the participatory budgeting project. Mm -hmm. How did all that intersect? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, the time that I spent uh, as an active chapter member of VIP 100 um, and in, in doing, it coincided with the expansion of the work I was doing with um, the TV project um, through the Midwest and Southern U.S. and has been some of the most professionally satisfying years that I've worked. And, and it's because, like, the... The, what, so I, I was introduced to participatory budgeting as a participant. So the first mm. process in the United States um, happened in the 49th Ward in Chicago, which is where I live and where I'm running for office. And, um, you know, for those, for those who aren't familiar, 
a brief definition, participatory budgeting, uh, which we like to call PB for short, <laughs> is just it's a process where community members get to directly decide how to spend, um, you know, community dollars. So whether you're talking mm -hmm. about uh, city budget, uh, tax dollars, sometimes it can be uh, pooled resources and organizations, um, right? So, but it's about people deciding directly how to allocate those shared resources. And um, in 2009, going to my first meeting, it just felt like democracy um, to mm. learn that instead of one person, uh, an elected official, deciding how to spend money for neighborhood improvements, that we were going to go through a process together that was very democratic, the small d, right? Um, mm -hmm. where we were going we to be given access to information. I learned about how the decisions were even made and then work together with other neighbors in my community to come up with ideas to, to solve some neighborhood issues, evaluate those, um, and create these project ideas that then everybody in the neighborhood got to vote on, and that, that became the decision-making process for how the, the council member would then allocate those funds. So what, what was most powerful in my experience, both as a participant with PB and also in communities that I was working, so in Chicago neighborhoods, um, in Madison, Wisconsin, in Detroit, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, in Durham, North Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, right, St. Louis, working in these places, people, so like residents in communities reaching out to us about PB were doing so because they were organizing and they wanted to have a say. They felt like their voices weren't heard and they were inspired by the, the original PD process which came from Brazil almost 30 years ago which was rooted in building political power. So this idea that, you know, there's some things happening with our, with our local government and we don't feel like we have a say and there are problems in our community and we don't feel like they're being addressed. We have ideas. We, so getting again to this, this idea that the people living in a place and living uh, the experience of a place are the ones best suited to tell you what's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that intersection there of, you know, similar to the Black Queer Feminist Lens, it's that same thinking of, the same logic of the people most impacted by a problem are the ones who should be sitting at the table um, being part of the solution. And so like, that, that's where that intersection lives for me still. And what I found a lot of uh, excitement and joy in working, especially with communities in the Midwest and the Southern U.S., because mostly there our projects have been working with community groups and organizations, um, as opposed to top-down processes where it was an elected official coming to us. And those are good, and we want elected officials at the table, but when a process is, is driven by community, it's a lot closer to those goals and those ideals of, of centering local people, expertise, and marginalized populations. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mary, we're going to take our first break. And then, I mean, I, I want to come back. That is, uh, that's, that's very near and dear to my heart. So we will be right back. Um, mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, we are talking to Maria Haddon from Chicago, and we will be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. We're back here talking to 2018 Esteem Award winner for Outstanding Service Female, Maria Haddon. You know, when you were talking about that and you're saying democracy mm-hmm. with the small d, I thought about the Women's March, not only last year mm-hmm. but this year, and mm-hmm. seeing women <laughs> and them saying, this is what democracy looks like. And, yeah. you know, People often talk about the number of people who don't vote, who aren't involved. In fact, many people want to often put the onus on young people. Young people don't mm-hmm. come out and vote, uh, these mm-hmm. people. And, you know, and yes, it is true. And it, it often is because what they've seen is the democracy with the big D, not with the small mm-hmm. D. And mm-hmm. like you, when I listen to you and the ones who I see who are really engaged in programs, um, with like things like BYP, which with like uh, the Allied Media Conference, is that they see the small D of what democracy looks like and mm-hmm. are making it real. Now, you are running for office. And I know many people would say, <laughs> why on earth do you want to do that? <laughs> you know, why do you, wanna, why, why do you want to do that when... And, I mean, and, it, and it's a challenge because I often think, you know, like sometimes you can, you can do more out and you can mobilize people, but you're taking this step. Do you, and I know that you can't, I mean, I wish that you could come and sit down once you're elected, see, putting it out there, once you're elected <laughs> that you could go in there and have a conversation about participatory budget and people would listen and they would change the resources. But we both know that it's going to be a learning curve for them, yeah. okay? Why did you decide that you're going to, to, to take this on, to get into the political arena? Yeah, um, that's a good question. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, after eight years working in, in grassroots civic engagement, uh, working with elected officials, with budget directors, city government, and community residents who want more of a role in city government, and uh, learning so much about not just how the city of Chicago works and kind of the nuts and bolts of, but also mm-hmm. learning about how other cities work and finding ways that the city of Chicago could work better for its residents. Um, I, I felt like I've got the, the, the kind of experience that's missing from, from the person that currently holds office and is missing in a lot of places in Chicago city council. Mm-hmm. Um, there mm-hmm. aren't, other than being 18 and a citizen, there aren't any other qualifications 
um, to run for, for elected office um, in most places. And so you end up with a lot of representatives that, that not only don't have uh, experience working with people, but oftentimes because we still live in a very classist society, right? Um, classism, racism, sexism, um, these present challenges um, and opportunities of privilege that, in my experience, have made elected office and in some cases, government employment, but certainly elected electoral politics as a space where there's not enough representation. As someone who, with the work experience and being at a place in my life where I have the privilege of, because it, it is a privilege to be able to run for office, um, I feel like it's a responsibility to do so. In, in the city council, um, where the district that I live in, our current representative, does not represent us, neither in lived experience nor in his voting record. And um, I live in a community that's often held up as like the most diverse uh, political jurisdiction in the country, both in, in racial, ethnic, diversity, nationality, income, status, and um, it's lifted up a lot and kind of tokenized and not honored and respected, and we don't have that representation at the table. Um, we, people had asked me to run because of the work that I do, and when I reflected upon what it would mean as far as the personal sacrifice of moving into public life and also did some you know, soul-searching on whether it's something I felt like I could honestly do, I, um, I, I came away with a, a firm and confident yes, and I want to, just like with peer mediation, just like with participatory budgeting, and work with the Black Youth Project, I, I firmly believe that the best, one of the best strategies to, to changing and transforming our systems is by um, doing it, right, by living it out by implementing a different method and with the valuable lessons that I've learned from thousands of people uh, working on reforming and changing democratic process in Chicago and all those other cities, um, I want to I bring those practices to Chicago City Council. I want to bring those practices to the ward. And so I want to not just, uh, not just aim for, for changes in particular goals or policies, but really practice from the role of an elected officer what I believe should uh, be a democratic role for like the 21st century, right? Like what do we need right now? Government mm -hmm. is lagging behind. Government hasn't reformed. I've got some ideas and some experience on how we could be better in government, and I felt like the role of elected office is a position of, of power and authority from which I could make those changes um, that I couldn't make outside of it. And having the experience and the values and the alliances that I have. Um, we need people on the inside and people on the outside. And, and I know that I can maintain the integrity and the relationships necessary to represent uh, the constituents and, and the community I live in, as, as well as keeping in mind to the, the values of the organizations and progressive efforts that, that I've long been a part of. And, and making sure that they're going to have somebody on the inside that's going to listen and, and really try to govern with, with those values at heart. 
when you decided to run, did you look at other people? I mean, and and were you inspired by people like Andrea Jenkins, who is from uh, uh, from originally from Chicago before she moved out there? And you know, and it was a it was that part. Do you think that when you look and you see that? people of color, queer people of color are getting elected, that they're bringing something to the table and that people are listening to that. Did that give you a way of saying like, you know, this is the time to do this? Yes. Um, and and mm-hmm. a lot of it has been a, just a little closer to home. The, the elected officials that I've had the pleasure of working with through work, um, mm-hmm. and, and other places, and especially um, women of color uh, mm-hmm. in elected office that I've had the opportunity to work with in, in Durham, North Carolina, and in Detroit, are inspiring, mm-hmm. and they're there. And it was mm-hmm. just this realization, um, you know, I mentioned people had asked me to run over, over the last couple of years, you know, if you are going to run for elected office, you should run for alderman, and um, what what really flipped, flipped the switch for me in my head was a conversation I had with a close friend of mine, um, a Latina woman who works in politics but is not an elected official. And um, she was talking about uh, a new position that she was taking on, a new role uh, in her profession, and how it was making her nervous. She was scared, and she expressed, you know, Pretty, pretty normal concerns of whether she was going to be good enough, um, what this was going to mean, what if she failed. And in listening to her concerns, I was like, you're going to be amazing, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. reflect back to you who you are, like, and you're going to be mm-hmm. great. And, and if you're not moving into that space, and if you're not doing something that, that is challenging you, you're not growing, and also your voice isn't going to be there. And uh, after I gave her her pep talk and she thanked me, she immediately said, uh, what's your excuse, Maria? (laughs) (laughs) So why why aren't you running for office? And Mm -hmm. it's so important that we take and make space, and that's how I think of it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So um, the the lifting as we climb piece of it, right? So I see Mm -hmm. this as I'm going to make space that, that hasn't been yet made for me here in this city, and I'm making space, and I'm going to take up that space. I'm going to represent and be a voice at the table. And in doing this, one of the big goals through my campaign and, and, and what I you know, hope to bring while in office is also spreading this learning and mm-hmm. sharing what I'm learning as I go. I'm having, um, so I mentioned BYP 100, or we're celebrating five years, and we're having our national convening this year here in Chicago, and I've submitted to do a session on running for office, what I've learned so far. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm making a toolkit as well at the end of the campaign because we need to break this open and make space. And in moving into this new space, I'm not, um, I'm not leaving a, a gap behind me either. So, right, um, part of Our City, Our Voice, this new organization, is about what we can do to expand upon the lessons learned in working with participatory budgeting address the larger challenges with the fact that across this country we have a problem in civic education. And not mm-hmm. just the, how the federal government works, but we are not taught, and unless you're, unless you're born into it or, or have 
a family member that's in elected office, most people, we just don't know how our local government works and it impacts us um, sometimes to a much greater degree than, than what's happening in the White House, you know? Um, and so uh, moving into that space, creating that space, and, and I feel like it also honors the, the work of the, of the people and the women especially that have, have been doing this already and going before us, and I want to add to that. Now, you know, you talked about um, your organization, which is new, but uh, one of the things do you see, you know, and, and I think that, you know, once you, we put a crack in it, you can see it. Like you said, many people don't understand how it does. They forget about the federal. You know, some things are, are going to impact you that can happen right in your neighborhood and what you can do. What are your expectations of this, of who your alderman is, what you can go in there and say. And I know that um, there, here, different places. I know at one point in time I was talking to someone about an election in Chicago, and they said, well, and they mentioned someone who was an alderman. They said, well, they've been there forever, and, and you know, and, like, that's as good as it can get. And even here mm-hmm. there are people where, you know, it was like we had John Conyers who stepped down, and he said, well, you know, my son. And many people mm-hmm. said, well, that'll be just who it is. But it didn't happen. But there were other people who started to, like, bubble up and sort of say, no, you know, you can do this. But people don't understand. And sometimes people will feel that they don't want to understand. Like, there's a level of apathy. Mm-hmm. I can see where our city, our voice is, is starting to shake that up. And mm-hmm. – but – how do you see our city, our voice, shaking things up, shaking up, even though it might have been that way and you had this alderman who was there for, I think, 10 years and others who, you know, other people who have always been in power, but that is not the way it has to continue to be. How is our city, our voice, helping people, you know, break that cycle of feeling uh, disenfranchised or, and sometimes the oppression that you feel is oppression that, you know, you could push off if you felt empowered. Right. And I I think that's the the key piece to to your question there, and and it centers around how how empowered somebody feels or how how capable or able combined with the uh, accessibility that they actually have. Um, Engaging in the democratic process, engaging in government, changing policy or working in electoral politics as like a, as a resident, um, there's kind of two, two things that um, in, working, in working in this area are, are two large categories of barriers. So the, the bigger one that I think a lot of times we focus on is the, the disenfranchisement, right? Um, so as you mentioned, uh, here in Illinois, we don't have term limits. So people get in power, they stay in power. We got these dynasties even at the federal level, you know, uh, the Clintons, the Bushes, uh, uh-huh. this idea that once people have power, it's both the power that they have that helps them maintain it, and also, once again, that privilege of just now they know how things work, you know. Um, if, if, you're, if your, you know, mother was a carpenter and was a, was a tradesperson and then taught you how to do it, you've just got an advantage um, if you decide that you want to be a carpenter, and some of that is, is just kind of the way things go. But, um, you know, here in Chicago, in my district, the person I'm running against has been in office for 27 years. Mm. Those are hard advantages. 
And so, so, so some of those pieces, um, I think, just work with our natural kind of human nature and tendencies of this has literally been the way things have been for almost three decades. What's, what, <laughs> we've known this for more time than we can imagine it, and people have a hard time imagining a different reality than what they've ever had. It's just how our brains work, right? Um, we have a hard time imagining something different than what we've ever experienced. And so whether that's in looking at some of the bigger reforms that we're facing, like some of our, the biggest challenges we have in the country right now on what does is, what is us living in balance with the earth look like so that we don't destroy mm-hmm. the planet. Um, and we're stuck in this, but we always use gas in our cars, um, right? Like we're, it's hard even when there's a will and there's an interest as people, I, th- I think it's just difficult for us to, to see those things, which is why people who can be innovative um, and also be able to communicate and kind of reach back and, and bring us up with them are, are important members of our communities that we need to, to cultivate. But the other part of, especially on the civic engagement aspect, um, is there are real barriers that are put in our way as well mm-hmm. to keep us from participating. So whether that's um, the, the purging of voter rolls um, that happens or, um, you know, in Alabama, the, the law they put in place uh, and then, then closing all those polling locations. Uh-huh. Um, so, so literally just limit the options of people. So, like, there are real things that are being actively done to disenfranchise people as well as just kind of cultural and, um, you know, place-based barriers and, and apathy or, or disenfranchisement. And with our city, our voice, what we're taking are these, these lessons and some of the, the best things that I've seen come out of participatory budgeting processes um, that residents have told me is hope. So mm. going through a process, even on a small scale, what, what you're essentially doing and going through this PD process, like we, we start with a participatory design where it's the people who are going to be impacted by the ultimate decision making the rules right from the start. You know, they're deciding who gets to be involved and how they make decisions and, you know, when, when they should meet and what kind of outreach and what are their goals, right? So this is a, the, like, smallest democracy you can get, right? So they're deciding from the beginning how it's designed and then governing themselves, interacting, learning, having to go through a process to seek out more information, build coalitions and collaborate, um, but it's on a small scale, right, because it's around, you know, a million dollars or $2 million or, you know, whatever the budget is. And at the, uh, most of these processes fit within an 8 to 10-month time period. And at the end, there's a clear uh, decision, you know, hey, great, we're going to fund these six projects. And then they're implemented. And it, it puts it in a, in a scale and a time frame to where a person can experience that it worked. And it's as simple as that, Right. You said we were going to do this thing, and we did it, and it worked. Now I think I might have more faith in trying this again. And because it's done and and figured in this this public space and in the civic space and interacting with government, what we're finding is that it it builds hope for people and it builds relationships in government where a lot of times they've fallen into disrepair or they were non-existent to begin with. Um, so at the, at the small level in these processes, what we saw were um, the ability, because people were designing the processes, for them to have um, things that were accessible to them, 
oh, we're going to have the meeting when we can be there, not at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. on Wednesday. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, okay. we're, going to meet, we're going to meet in a place where we're going to have child care, and guess what? We're going to have food, right, so that we can bring our mm-hmm. kids and we can eat dinner. And, and so people literally designing their own democracy. And then once they see that's possible, once they see it's possible, people naturally think, well, what if we could do this over here? We can do this here. Maybe we can do this here. Um, or I met my neighbor, and I hadn't worked with a neighbor ever to solve a problem, and now I know these people on my block, and I feel more connected. You know, and, and mm-hmm. like that sense of community building, as well as the actual like nuts and bolts experience that people get from, from doing it, um, what, that's what we found was kind of missing. So with Our City, Our Voice, you know, our, our purpose is to support civic engagement processes like PB, um, and, and organizing in communities with the goal of building people's capacity to be stronger actors in their local democracy, right? Because we think that the civic education, the practice, and people's experience in it, we need to build individuals that are feeling like they can and that they know how to engage in government, whether that's serving on a local school council, joining a park committee, um, being on a Friends of the Library group, leading their block club, or running for office, right? Like running for elected office is not the end-all, be-all of democracy, though in the United States it's kind of how we treat it. We need leaders and active community members at all levels for, for healthy democracy. And so at Our City, Our Voice, we, we focus on rebuilding what we, what we call like our civic power, which is rooted in education and experience, um, in a way that, that people are designing for themselves to answer the problems that they, that they want to answer, to solve the problems that they want to solve. Um, and from those experiences, they're going to build their own pathways to, to what that stronger democratic process looks like in their city. Um, and it was something that was, was transformative for me, you know, in 2009, of having that first experience of I could engage with government in a different way, um, and that's what I see coming out of, of, of the thousands of people that we've worked with across these other cities. That's so important and I think really missing in, in a lot of our formal education and certainly in the way government works with people. You know, I think that one of the other things that, that I hear coming through is the transformative piece of community. Like you said, someone who they're looking at their neighborhood and they're looking at having the meeting in their community where they can mm-hmm. all be access to it, but also to looking at what are the, the resources and the things that are missing in the neighborhood. How, like you said, how you hadn't talked to your neighbor, but possibly part of your issue on safety, on housing is right there. And then as you start mm-hmm. to redefine, re-spirit this community, mm-hmm. then that gives you that, that power to mm-hmm. impact democracy, to be engaged civically, to sort of go in and say, no, you're going to meet here, and this is what we want for, for, our, mm-hmm. communi- for our community. And it's mm-hmm. sort of like, but that, that seems to be really one of the things that happens by having just engaging people to sort of say, no, you're not powerless, and that democracy is not this big end-all, be-all, get a paycheck, get in there and stay in office forever but it's about mm-hmm. the community and how do we, we pull it together and look at what we want to see, what we see as resources, you know, what we want to do. And then from there, 
comes what you call real community power and transformation. Absolutely. And getting to that place where um, they're so, I feel like we're, in, in my lifetime, at least so much of the relationship of, like, living in a place is like, okay, I'm a resident in the city of Chicago, and then there's this government, right? So whether it's the local level or the state level or the federal level, there's uh, so much of our culture, I feel like, thinks of government as something separate from us. And what I found through that personal experience of PD and then what I've taken and what I'm seeing, like, in spaces like BYP 100, right, in the larger movement for black lives space, in the Women's March, is I see people realizing, oh, wait, um, we are government, right? So mm-hmm. as you talk about, like, this is what democracy looks like, I, I was pretty active in our, uh, we had a local Rogers Park Occupy group here as well. And that was, that was you know, in, in Occupy, it was, we're going to define what democracy looks like, redefining it by doing it. And I see that happening all over the country. And it's beautiful because we certainly need it. You know, we're, we're only a 200-year-old country. And a lot, of, um, a lot of what I see working at the city level, that a lot of the, the policies, practices, and, 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 you know, charters that our, govern, our local governments work under are pretty outdated. Um, and they were defined and written not for most of, most of the public right now, right? So when we think about, um, you know, who's showing up to the Women's March, who's showing up to, you know, the Movement for Black Lives event, um, what are the changing demographics of this country? Uh, even uh, yesterday, 95 years after the fact, um, Illinois finally passed the Equal Rights Amendment. Right. Um, so, and, and now we still need one more state to ratify that in the Constitution. So, in thinking about, and, it, and it's not being critical about the government and the Constitution and the things that were written, you know, 100, 150, 200 years ago for most of our cities, but looking at the fact that why haven't we revisited them? I have to update my Apple iPhone like every six weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like, I have to update, like, my, my software, my technology, all, you know, so frequently and the speed at which we live and the access that we have. But what are we doing about our government? What are we doing to make sure that we're designing, revisiting, and redefining the way democratic practice looks like so that it's inclusive and so that it's equitable? And so the, the work with our city, our voice, puts us at that space. So we're working with residents. We're working with local government that are doing exactly that. They're, they're tackling the questions of what, is, what does inclusivity look like? What does equity look like in our city? Where are, we, where are we falling short? And what do we need to do to update and change that? And, and that's what's exciting about it. And I think, mm-hmm. the, you know, as we, we talk, our tagline is kind of rebuilding civic power. And I think the vision for where we want to help uh, put our efforts to so that people can redefine what democracy looks like um, at their local level. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our, our second break here. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about democracy with a small d with my guest, Maria Haddon. And we will be right back.
Connections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. So Maria, um, we're gonna we're sort of coming into the home stretch, and I have to ask you. I'm gonna tell you, I had worked <laughs> with, with with Phil esteem mm-hmm. for the longest. I mean, you know what he wanted to do, and like I said, I'm back and forth between that. And when I got the call that I was getting the award, I was literally driving back from Washington D.C. And I had been sending him some stuff and something he was looking for, and I'm going like, okay, what do you need? I'm ready to do. And he said, well, I want to tell you something I you know that we did and I almost drove off the road I mean I was just like so surprised because when you go about doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. we don't do what we do to get an award to be recognized whatever we're doing it because it's it's in our gut you know we've got this fire in our belly that this is what we believe and this is what we have to do so what was it for you when you heard from Phil and he told you about this award. I, I was, I was, uh, so I, I got a Facebook message. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I was, I was flattered, actually. I never received an award. Um, mm-hmm. not, my, not my adult life. Um, I was flattered and surprised. Um, and also, um, I, as soon as I was able to, to check, I also kind of went back and checked to, to make sure that he had the right person. <laughs> like, uh-huh. are you sure? Are you sure uh-huh. you're looking to the to the right person? Um, okay, once we cleared that up, yeah, no, I'm I'm ecstatic, and I, I feel, you know, really really humbled um, to be in to be in such good company, and um, uh, I, and then it's, and it adds to the motivation to to keep going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just like. Um, I mean, I was just like really tickle pink because I know um, I get to meet you. I know two people um, who are receiving the national awards, Eric Darnell Pritchard and Dr. Wilhelmina Perry, and you've got to make time to sit down and talk to her. I mean, when you talk about, I mean, Dr. Perry is in her 80s. What she has seen as far as movement and feminism and Mm -hmm change is just like phenomenal i mean i just i just adore her but um i you know so i was looking i'm like it's always a great group of people i mean and you learn so much different from each one uh so are you going to you're going to take this moment and then you're going to do it then you go right back on the campaign trail oh absolutely i won't i won't even really stop (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i mean really and you know, you've got someone, you're going, you'll be, it's not about being the first. It's not about being a trailblazer, you know, but mm-hmm. you know that you will be. And just by running, that there are young queer activists, young women, who will, mm-hmm. young lesbians, young feminists, mm-hmm. who will be looking mm-hmm. and going like, you know, 
I could do that. You know, I'm going to get off the bench. You know, I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be the outside agitator. I'm going to get in the fray, and together we will all create change. Do you feel that? Do you feel like uh, that that you're in that spotlight or that a responsibility to you know? Because I know you said you had to think about what it was going to mean on your personal life and everything. But mm-hmm. what were some of the other things that that you think about? Not only that and from uh, a perspective of uh, five years from now, if someone walks up to you and says, you know what, I'm thinking about doing this, what will you say? Um, so I've, I've been answering that question to people now with, yes, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and absolutely, we're, we're in that moment. We're in that moment where here in Chicago, but also in some of the other places that, I'm, that I've you know, been able to work in, there are young people stepping up all over the place and stepping into elected office, running for elected office, figuring this thing out, and and, in essence also redefining how it's done. Um, I don't remember what state it is. I don't remember if it was Minnesota. Uh, It was something earlier last year where um, they had, uh, I think, 17-year-olds. They had uh, several candidates for some local office that Mm -hmm. were – under 18 because their state law allowed it. And, uh, and I, like I said, I don't remember, but I think it might be Minnesota. And um, it was wonderful. And the adults freaked out. <laughs> they freaked mm-hmm. out and immediately talking about changing the laws. And, and that, type of, that type of agitation and that type of people stepping up because they can um, and, and to test things, it, 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 overall it makes us better. You know, reasons are important. And, and personally, um, I don't feel a lot of weight around it, but I do feel, um, again, that it's, it's, a, it's a privilege. Um, it's a privilege to be able to do it, to be able to run, and to um, hopefully create that space. And I see it as a responsibility, right? Um, so once in office, there's, there's a new level of responsibility and how that goes. It also means that um, there you know, there's extra risk involved um, with doing that. Even in, you know, the, in one of those first, there are um, no and have never been any black aldermen in Chicago on the north side of the city. Mm. And Chicago's got a long history of the way political power has been divided over various uh, race groups and how that power is maintained even now along the city and county lines is a delicate balance. And, and that's something that is exciting um, to me and also, um, you know, shakes up, shakes up a power structure. And, and I'm very cognizant of that. And that also means that people that might, should or, or could be natural allies might not be. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of those things go into kind of my calculations of, of, how, of how I move through the campaign, and then more importantly, what it's going to look like to be in office um, and how, you know, whoever, whoever it is and in whatever field, um, once, we, once we break some barriers, um, then they're open. And I, I expect to see through the next several waves of elections across the country more and more of those being broken. And I kind of see myself as part of that wave and, and not so much as being at the front of it. You know, it's funny, that was a re, you know, it, you know how you know something, but then you don't know something? 
mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. you get a reality check. When you said that, at first I went like, hmm. But you know what? It is true. When I think of Chicago, if I'm thinking about mm-hmm. black folks, I'm thinking south. Mm-hmm. If I'm thinking mm-hmm. north, it's white folks. And mm-hmm. even as far as like last year, and it was for the Esteem Awards, and I got a great deal on a hotel that was in a northern suburb. Mm-hmm. I like to get out and walk every morning. So I was mm-hmm. out there walking, and suddenly I had a police car, you know. And in my mind, I said, <laughs> aha, I'm on the north side. But, you know, like you said, it's real. And there, yeah. are, places, there are places here in Michigan where I have friends who live my friends who live in affluent suburbs, and they said, oh, well, why don't you come? I said, you know what? I'm more concerned about coming here at night because it's real. And they mm-hmm. go like, oh, no, you know, well, we're everywhere. No, we aren't everywhere. And so, I mean, that's something that when you said that, that, yeah, that's a barrier that you're facing. I mean, it's like that invisible un- that people probably don't talk about as mm-hmm. much. But it's mm-hmm. still there, and there you are. Okay, mm-hmm. who has your back? Who's going to be that person that's going to keep you on point, uh, make sure that you stay, you know, hey, you're getting caught up in the machine, or just be there on the days when you go like, you know, this stuff is hard, and say, but, you know, I've got your back. You're going to do this. Um, I, I feel really, really uh fortunate and wealthy and, and friends and, and family and supporters. And so, you know, most of my family is, is in Ohio. Um, they're, they're always there and have always been there for me. My mom, my dad, my siblings, um, our supporters, uh, my partner, Natalia, is, is always there to bring me, bring me down a notch when, when needed <laughs> and, and to lift me up when necessary. And um, I feel like the, the community that I'm a part of, both my geographic community here in Rogers Park in the 49th Ward and also the, the different communities I'm a part of through, through my organizing work, um, through my alumni networks. Um, I've got really good people that are, that are behind me all the way and that will, will be there for me when I need them. And I'm continuing to, to kind of build those networks out too. And one of, the, one of those groups of people through these last um, several months, because I started working on this last year, um, have been other 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 black women running for office. Um, mm. So other like a peer network uh, of here and in other places, um, other folks going through this thing. Um, you know, I've got a couple a couple folks that every once in a while we just check in on the phone, and then it's 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 um it's great to have that. And and again, that's why like. You know, being being part of this wave um, mm-hmm. has its advantages, right? Like I'm not I'm not alone. I never am, um, and I, I won't be the last, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I know that there are a lot of us out there who are black queer feminists, and a lot of people who wish you well. Um, if people want to know about your campaign, how they can support your campaign, sure. how they can learn about our city, our voices. What's the best way to do it? Um, the, the best way, so uh, definitely I do need people's support. So, you know, uh, sign up on the mailing list, donate to the campaign. Um, mm-hmm. Maria for 49.org. Mm-hmm. So that's M-A-R-I-A-F-O-R 49.org. 
Um, you can learn more about me. You can contact me directly. Uh, you can contribute. You can sign up to volunteer. Um, so that's definitely the place to go for that. And then for Our City, Our Voice, if you're, if you're living in a place where you've got, uh, you know, some community organizing going on, you're interested in learning more about what it looks like to, to build democratic processes from the ground up, or you're looking to understand how government works more, check us out at ourcityourvoice.org. So that's O-U-R-C-I-T-Y-O-U-R-V-O-I-C-E dot O-R-G. Um, and Our City, Our Voice, we're actually going to be in St. Louis uh, June 22nd through 24th at the Common Bound Conference, part of the New Economy Coalition. And uh-huh. you can find out more about that at commonbound2018.org. Okay. And of course, you can follow both the campaign and the organization on Facebook as well. Okay. Well, Maria, I want to thank you for your time. I look forward to meeting you at the Esteem Awards. And, you know, like I said, I've got my second family there in Chicago. So who knows, I might have to come a weekend and help you campaign. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Okay. Well, you have a great afternoon, and I will talk to you in the very near future. Excellent. Thank you so much, Michelle. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest, Maria Haddon, Executive Director of Our City, Our Voice, and the 2018 Esteem Award recipient of the Outstanding Service Female Chicago Award. The Esteem Awards take place in Chicago on June 30th at the Sidetrack Lounge. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.